Businesses thrive by knowing customer insights because today's insights are tomorrow's facts. At iResearch, we live and breathe insights. And despite searching high and low, we were unable to find a customer insights podcast that answers one of the most important questions in business. Why do customers do what they do? So we launched one. Hi, I'm your host, Darshan Mehta. Welcome. Today we're talking to Jamie Flinchbaugh. And if you're thinking about lean, he's the guy you want to talk to. He is a lean thought leader. And more than that, he's an accomplished entrepreneur, senior executive, consultant, and a board member to many companies. But he's also the author of People Solve Problems, The Power of Every Person, Every Day, Every Problem. And I'm looking forward to talking to you, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. So uh, I guess tell me a little about your journey and how you got to and some of the pivotal moments that led you to write People Solve Problems, uh, the power of every person, every day, every problem. I find that very interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's been a while since I wrote my last book and and uh, I've, I've been kind of warming up to get around to write another book. But there, there were a few uh, sort of intellectual explorations and experiences that I had mm-hmm. that, that led up to this this deep dive study. One is I, I've especially as a board member and entrepreneur, and I, I, I've gotten more and more into strategy, um, but not strategic planning, because I think that's often a very limited exercise, but strategic thinking, um, especially those that are very dynamic and, and responsive, not just reactive. And, and the more I study strategy and strategic thinking, the more I see it as just a different form of problem solving. You know, we're solving market gaps, we're solving value gaps, uh, we're solving execution gaps. And so, you know, that as I as I looked at really good strategic thinkers and see them as good problem solvers, I'm like, oh, well, it's not just about problem solving tools. So I think that set of conclusions was a big influence on me. Along with that, um, you know, as I do a lot of coaching and I, I've coached a lot of people on a lot of problems I really found a correlation where the more focused people were on the tool and the template, the less they were focused on how they were thinking and their creativity and even the problem itself. And it was not a one-to-one correlation, but basically like the tool was hindering people's thinking. And, and so I, I've just noticed that more and more over the years in my, my coaching that tools sometimes get in the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, of, of the thinking and, and problem solving is fundamentally a thinking thing. And then I'd say the the third major aha for me is, is as, as I got less involved in teaching a specific tool set, I, I just got more involved in people and their own tool set. And what I really noticed was that all the best problem solvers I work with all use different problem solving tools. And so if that's true, it's really not about the tools. It's about how they think about problems. And and I, I start to notice that all those best problem solvers still have some of the the, the same deep uh, behaviors and beliefs that drive how they engage with problems. Um, and, and so so that, those those different experiences that I've had over the last you know I'll say three to twenty years, right? Some of these were long. Sure. Long build up aha moments, but uh, they all kind of led to, hey, let me do a deeper dive in the problem solving. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you brought up lots of things that are making me think about all kinds of things. And one of them is, um, you know, what role is being philosophical play in, 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 in critical thinking? Cause I actually, you know, I, I actually had to look it up. I have used it a lot, but I looked it up not that long ago and philosophical is actually critical thinking and knowing that there's more than one way to solve a problem. And I think that's what you're kind of thinking. You're talking more about a, a mindset, right. And, and a shift and actually, then and, and and I want you. We want to get. I want to get into with these tool things as well with you. But what role do you think being philosophical uh, plays in in critical thinking and and, and uh, problem solving? Well, I, I think it's core. I think it begins with that. Um, you know, I don't usually use the word philosophical, mostly because you know you looked it up, right? But uh, when most people say that, it's they they think it's it's not even like how should I think they think it's how should everyone think. And, <laughs> and so it becomes very elusive and, and, and scary and, and not pragmatic for many people, but cultivating the right mindset to engage with a problem with a sense of curiosity, with a sense of exploration, um, with, with humility is, is fundamentally important. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of, uh, a, a deep biography on the Wright brothers. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it's amazing. Their, their, their thirst for knowledge uh, through reading, through experimentation, through any means necessary um, was, was, was amazing. It was how they approached. They, they, didn't, they didn't really set out to go, you know, invent aviation. They, 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 their, their thirst for knowledge just took them down this path in anything they pursued, I, I, I really believe that if, if now they had a mechanical inclination, so almost any problem that they pursued uh, with with uh, in a mechanical nature, they were probably going to become at least semi famous for. Mm. But of course, they, you know, flight is a is a big one. That's, that's, <laughs> yes, that's, that's pretty that's big. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting because I'm, I remember when I was in college, uh, one of the things I really loved was case studies. And mm-hmm. what I liked was, you know, going through all the noise and all the information and trying to figure out what is really causing the problem here and then the solution. And I realized I don't really mind problems. I just love solutions. <laughs> and so, you know, and being curious and stuff. So my, I wonder, how do you actually teach someone to be a critical thinker? And can you? I, I, I think you can. Um, well, I, I, I know you can. I, let, me, let me put it that way. I, I know you can. I, I, I feel that I've done it. Uh-huh. Um, I don't feel that you can teach somebody to want to do that. So I think that's the key thing. I think, you know, if, if somebody doesn't want to go down that exploration, they don't want to open up, uh, they're perfectly satisfied with, with who they are and how they are, I, I'm not sure you can teach them how to think critically. Um, and that's actually one of the biggest problems with problem solving is because we've all done it since we were infants, we we just we have this huge confirmation bias that we're really good at it, and and so we 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 don't always overcome that. Yeah, I need to get better at this. But once somebody says, you know, I, I do want to get better at this, um, it, it doesn't matter where they start. Mm-hmm. They've opened the door, and now you can. Uh, you can explore how do we think about this problem? How do we think about this decision? What's a better way to analyze it, to come up with solutions? It almost doesn't matter where you're starting. You're just getting somebody to look at how they work and how they think differently. And 
you know, I, I, I would say like it's a one moment kind of thing. But once you start opening the door to people being aware that their thought process and their way of working through the problems that they deal with every day can be better, that's a pretty compelling reason to continue to invest and go further. Um, I, I was just very recently meeting with a uh, meeting today, uh-huh. meeting with someone that's trying to make some financial decisions uh, with a team that he doesn't control. And, you know, everybody was clearly jumping to a conclusion. So we're, we're just talking about how do we get us talking about the assumptions and the process more. And I think once you do that, again, it's not about the tools. It's about what do we need to understand? What do we need to be curious about? What's a better way to organize our thinking so that we can, we can be more structured in, in approaching it? And then, and then you learn through discovery, right? You sort of discover that, ooh, that worked. That was interesting. I want more. Uh, so I think once that door opens, uh, there's a lot of ways for people to, to, to strengthen how they, how they go about their critical thinking. But it seems like one of the barriers for many people would be learning to be comfortable questioning your decision or your thought process to kind of challenge it. Uh, how much of a barrier is that? And how do you get people to overcome that? Yeah, it, it's, it's a huge barrier. It's, it's interesting um, that I, I find uh, as I engage with people, and this is, this is a very broad generalization, but I find people early in their career, uh, it's very, very open to, to doing that because, you know, they haven't developed a lot of, a lot of habits. Uh, they, they want to learn. They want to be taught. And, and so there's a lot of willingness to engage. When people get then more towards the end of their career, they're very comfortable with who they are, but they're not overly con- They're also not overly confident. They're not trying to put on an air of knowing everything. They kind of like, yeah, okay. I've achieved this, not knowing everything. It's okay. I'm dealing with complex problems. Nobody knows all the answers. And, and, and so I find, I find interesting that, that people further along in their career or very beginning are, are, are in general more open. And so I do think there's a bit of confidence that you, you already have to have uh, to be open, mm-hmm. right? You're kind of like, hey, I'm going to open myself up to this. I'm, I'm comfortable that I'm doing a pretty good job already. This isn't me admitting failure, um, but I want to get better. Uh, so how do people, how do we open people up to that? Um, I think, you know, the, the main two ways that, that I mostly experience, and I come at organizations from the outside, so it, it's perhaps a little different, mm-hmm. but one is that, uh, Simply, they're, 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 they've entered into a, a new problem, a new domain, a new set of challenges that they very clearly are not ready for, mm-hmm. and they just know they need help, right? So that, they, 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 that sets them off their kilter, sets them off their center of gravity a bit, and they're, okay, now I'm, I'm, reach, I'm ready to reach for something. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm ready to reach for something. <laughs> I think the other, the other time is sort of coming at it the other way, where there's some feedback. Uh, there's an expectation. There's a, you know, they got, whether they got fired or didn't get a promotion or got demoted or, or just got, you know, some tough feedback, but they kind of got a smack in the head, a smack in the face that says, you're not on the path you thought you were on. And that again is an off, off kilter moment that, 
opens you up to something new. Um, and, and so I just think, you know, fundamentally, in some kind of inflection point, right, that breaks the momentum of doing what I always did, right? Every day I come in and do what I do, pretty good at it, no need to change. Some inflection point needs to be created, whether you create it yourself or someone or something creates it for you. Um, uh, and those inflection points, like those are just, okay, by definition, stuff has to change. It's an inflection point. Now, how do we grab that moment and make the most out of it? That's the, that's what, at least what I try to do as a coach. And I think that's the, 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 the thing that if people have enough inflection points, they realize that those are actually great times of opportunity uh, to really do something. Uh, and, but I think that takes some, uh, you know, going through a few inflection points to, to, to get to that, uh, revelation, um, you know, yeah, and I'd say that, it being, you know, if it's your first inflection point, you, you know, it's scary. So you, you, you know, you might be scary and you reach for new ideas. It might be scary and you reach for safety instead of new ideas, but kind of going through enough inflection points and realizing that it's still going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I just need to get better, uh, mm-hmm. then that, that, that leads to, you know, opening up, uh, for, for new ways of working, new ways of thinking. I think you brought up something also very interesting. I remember Google did a study uh, not that long ago and they were looking at, you know, what was the one factor that really determined if someone was successful? Is it education? Is it income? And do you know what the one factor was? Well, I, I, I know what it is for me and that's, uh, uh the ability to learn. Uh-huh. It was, it was hunger. It was actually hunger and thirst, you know, a hunger to, to, to thrive, to, to move forward and, and, and just, uh, uh, having that. And I think that's part of what you're talking about. I think there's a little bit of hunger early on in one's career, but later on, maybe that hunger kind of wanes a little bit because there's a comfort zone. But I think what you're saying is if you can maintain that hunger and that drive, then you're going to still maintain that ability to do critical thinking and problem solving. Yeah, and that's and, you know, a lot of the people I, I do coach at senior levels, right? They they whether they got there because of their hunger or not, they they still have it. They want to mm-hmm. do excellent work. They want to leave an excellent legacy. They want to, you know, jump to the next, uh, you know, the next rung of performance or career or whatever that might be. Um, you know, even even CEOs. How do I double the size of my company? That's going to be an achievement that no one can take away from me. So. Yeah, I, I think that hunger is, is a good thing. It kind of relates to purpose, right? It's, right. it's, it's a pursuit of something. And right. that's, it doesn't have to be about career and job and other things. It's, it's a sense of purpose that, that often for many people create that hunger of, oh, well, okay, here's the, here's the impact I'm trying to have on the world. That's a big gap. Then the hunger is about closing that gap. And, and you kind of realize it's a, it's a, it's a never ending journey, which is why you keep after it. Yeah, exactly. Are there certain things that you do to keep honing your uh, critical thinking skills and, 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 and kind of keeping that hunger alive for you? Yeah. Well, I, I think for, for one, writing is a part of that, right? So I, I like to say I write for myself first is how I, I go through a disciplined effort of digging deeper into a topic even for, I, I used to write a column for a couple different magazines for, for many years. And I would use it, like I'd get a client question and it'd be a tough question. I'm like, oh, let me think about that some more. Ooh, actually, let me write a column about that. 
And, and that would force me to think about it in a structured way and, you know, reach some conclusions. So for, for one, writing is part of that. Coaching is, is also a great place for me to hone and sharpen and extend because mm -hmm. I've got to keep up. I love clients that ask me really tough questions because mm -hmm. those questions make me better. If, if I don't, I used to, I don't anymore. If, I don't want clients that ask me the same question over and over again. It's like, yeah, I know the answer to that. I'll, I'll give it every single time. Just ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. I want questions that like, ooh, okay, let me think about that. And that, that, that makes me better. And then the, the last mechanism for me that I, I, I don't utilize as often as I, I should, um, but really is sort of deep reflection and, and, and going off with, you know, no distractions, deep structured thinking. Um, I have, you know, behind me, I have a, a leather bound notebook, which is kind of where I go to do that kind of work mm -hmm. um, mentally. Um, and, and then I often leave my office, right? I might go up to the mountains. I, I did this uh, January 1st. I went away for four days. It, it was mostly me and my leather bound notebook asking myself big questions, doing, you know, not always math analysis, but working through the problem, developing decision criteria, you know, weighing pros and cons, all that kind of stuff, and and reaching a few conclusions and just being more mindful of some of the big decisions. So, you know, I, I probably should do that more often than I do, uh, than, you know, four days at the beginning of the year, but, uh, and I probably will. Um, it, it, it going forward because I, I really reminded myself at the beginning of the year how how effective that was. And, and again, now that the book's out, it's like, well, okay, I don't have, I could go write another book. I may not anytime soon. It's a big exercise, but that means that this is one of my outlets for that kind of thinking. And I think that's a really important thing for people to do. And, and uh, the one thing people don't realize, especially with such uh, busy lives we have in a digital world, uh, is that it really takes some time for the human mind and, and body and everything to absorb things and, and to really understand and, and process it. And that's where you need that deep, uh, you know, talking to yourself and, 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 and exploration. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. You need, um, I actually have a, a chapter in people solve problems about uh, leveraging intuition mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, people think, you know, a lot of people just yeah, operate purely on intuition or, you know, oh, we're going to be analytical about it. And it's really about integrating both. Um, yeah, be analytical, be structured, be diligent, be curious, but also, you know, breathe, uh, tap into, soak on a question. Um, one of my favorite things to do, I don't say favorite things to do, but favorite mechanisms is I, I'll, I'll take a, a key question, either that I have or that a client has. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a hard one. There's no right answer to it. Let me think more deeply about it. And I would take that question with me on a long swim or a hike, you know, no podcast, no, you know, earbuds, no music, just, just me hiking or swimming with a question in my head. And I'm not writing down answers. I'm just letting that question bounce around my head for a while, thinking about it a little bit and seeing what, what comes out. And then I return to the analytical structured side, right? So, so, you know, we need to, uh, allow for build in, um, you know, that the, the rest of our brain to, to engage because mm -hmm. we, we can't just access all of it anytime we want. We kind of let 
we, we have to let our brain work on its own terms because uh, exactly. we don't always get to control our brain the way we'd like to. <laughs> I know that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> How much do you think that when you do this, you can actually enhance or improve intuition? I, I, I think you can. I, I think it, an important element of it is I believe writing down, you know, what you're concluding. Um, you know, I don't care if it's digital or, or physical, or I, I use my other notebook just to, you know, write is nothing like writing down an assumption or speaking it, by the way, that's, that, that's powerful too. It's just get it out of your head and make it real. Um, and, you know, writing it down is particularly useful because you're like, hey, you look at it and you're like, that's different than what I thought. That's different than my instinct, my first instinct, now that I'm writing it down, now that I'm saying it out loud. Uh, and it also, that act, creates a little bit of memory that checks your brain, you know, logs it, right? Because you've said it or you've written it. You've logged that assumption, that thought process, that conclusion, that idea, whatever it might be. And now it's, now it's available to be tested against reality, right? And reality is the ultimate arbiter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but even, uh, even something like a, a, an instinctive conclusion, like the tool doesn't matter, right? Okay. Well, uh, that I, I can write that down now. How can I go test that against reality and be more aware of different things that happen that I can sort of test against that conclusion? So just whether it's a thoughtful experiment or just being, aware because I've said it or written it down, like, oh, oh, there's another interesting experience. Mm. There's another interesting experience. There's another interesting experience that bounces against that. That that helps, that becomes the feedback loop for your intuition. Um, and I think and, you, begin and to see, you begin to see patterns too over time, right? And that's a big part of that, what helps you to hone in your intuition because you do see patterns across different things. And after a while, there's just certain things that just kind of, uh, you see there's, there's a commonality. Yeah. And pattern thinking, I think is particularly important. Um, I, I believe that's one of my strengths as a, as a human being, uh, is I'm a pattern thinker, um, individual micro moments like, okay, well, that's, that is what it is. I may not be as good at those types of details, but seeing, understanding, extracting patterns, that's, that's what I've always found as one of my, my, my core talents, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's harder to teach. Um, but that's in a lot of ways, that's what intuition is mm-hmm. doing is seeing the patterns and, you know, extrapolating them, uh, seeing under what conditions they, you know, with a little life experience, stress testing, um, how do they hold up against, you know, against, uh, against life. Um, and that's one of my, you know, I'll say another one of my, backgrounds is just how many different companies I've worked with gives me lots and lots of data and experiences to extract those patterns from and to stress test them against. And, and so that's, that certainly helped me uh, from, from that standpoint. It's also why, you know, if you want to be a better golfer, you go to the practice range, not, not another round of golf because it's how you get more iterations to, Develop. Oh, I'm I'm coming out of. I'm not a golfer, so I'll, I'll sound stupid saying talking about a golf analogy. But <laughs> I'm coming out of my backswing too uh, too aggressively, um, and and that's causing me to slice or hook or whatever it's that's mm. supposed to do. 
Um, well, you can have lots more feedback loops for doing that on the practice range than on the, on the golf course. And, but you're still stress testing your intuition against reality, which is again, the arbiter of truth. Right. And I think part of the, the pattern, uh, recognition is actually really understanding the relationship between things. Right. And, and that's the, that's the key is, is recognizing what's the relationship between uh, various components. Yeah. You know, understanding cause and effect uh, uh, is, is core um, systems dynamics and systems thinking, uh, which are two sides of the same coin systems. Dynamics is more mathematical uh, in, in its origins, Jay Forrester and all of his work, uh, really, really interesting, fascinating work. And then systems thinking, which is a more, more philosophical approach to it, but still, uh, you know, still you're, you're capturing the dynamics of how all these things come together and, and, and affect each other. And, and, and just by drawing systems diagrams in a lot of cases, whether they be physical all right, let me understand my fuel system of my car. Uh, let me understand the dynamic of my day, right? Whatever, we're all, it's all a system, right? There's no one thing, but sure. understanding what's causing what, where the leverage is, and then again, still testing that against reality, that's, that's really what we're doing. And so, again, going back to those great problem solvers, uh, understanding cause and effect is, is critical. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, 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 go, I'll go back to the Wright brothers. Cause this was the chapter I was reading last night. I'm mm-hmm. only partway through this book. Um, and they, they were, they were on their second iteration of flight tests, second summer at Kitty Hawk. And they, they changed the shape of the wing based on the mathematical formulas of the leading, the world's leading, uh, theorists around flight. And they were having really bad outcomes. Hmm. And they're like, huh. They looked at it and they looked at the wing and they looked at the math and they looked at what was happening. And then they started going, no, no, no. We think, we think that thinking is wrong because <laughs> that's what's causing these problems. And then they started, you know, not getting uh, restrained by that, but exploring truly open, clean sheet of paper, open mind, cause and effect. And you know, they, they they didn't approach all of it as analytically as they should ha- should have. That's why there's very little records of their first experiments. But the second iteration, you know, the math, the math that was the world knowledge, they were saying was wrong because they were curious about how the shape of the wing was affecting the flight pattern. Very interesting. I think that happens in many times, in many instances. Uh, I want to go back to something you've been talking about, uh, over-reliance or dependence on tools versus actually thinking. Give me some. Give me an, an example of what exactly you're talking about. So uh, there's a lot of problem-solving tools, right? And that's where I kind of focus the book, um, uh, whether it be A3 problem-solving or 8D or Six Sigma or things like that. Also tie it to strategic planning and there's, there's models like seven S's and business model canvas and, and things like that. So the overreliance on the tools is you, you take out one of those templates, right? Whether again, digital or physical paper doesn't really matter. And you just start putting stuff in boxes mm. and you're like, Oh, what am I supposed to put in this box? And what am I supposed to put in this box? And in, in most cases, like there might be a, Hey, what do you, what do you know about current reality here? 
right? Almost every problem solving process has some part where root cause or current state analysis or something like that. And as an example, what I'll see people do is they'll start writing down everything that they know. Uh, when it's not what they know that's hurting them, it's what they don't know that's hurting them, <laughs> or it's what they think they know that they're wrong about that's hurting them. And so they, they go into that, that box in the template, and they're like, oh, okay, I've got to complete this box. And they start writing stuff down, and it's like, are you, did you, did you even ask the question? So here's my two favorite coaching questions. So this is the pivot that I would try to make somebody is, what do you not know about current reality? And what's the best way to go learn what you need to learn? Then jump into that step in the process. Then go start writing stuff down. But ask yourself first what you don't know and what you need to go learn and how to go learn it before you start writing stuff down. But most people are so focused on the template, like, okay, you know, yeah, let me write stuff down and here's this box and this box is asking me this question and yeah, let me go as opposed to, huh, here's the question. Let me go off and explore, right? And, and, uh, and that, that's a very different mindset. Uh, strategic planning, again, is another process where almost everything you write down in strategic planning is an assumption, right? And, and it's, a, it's a simplification of reality. None of it's wholly true. All of it's just a way to, to simplify the, the complexity of operating in a market. But you write stuff down and treat it like it's just true, as opposed to simply your articulation of your assumptions. And then that's where strategic thinkers like, well, let's hold those lightly. Let's always, let's go out into the world and always be aware of how our assumptions might be proven incorrect. And, and so, you know, are you, are you treating it like a job aid to help you think? Or are you treating it like the job? My job is to complete the template. And, um, and that, that, that mindset shift is a, is, is a pretty big deal where, uh, you know, going past the template is like that. The, the template's just a job aid. It's just a starting point. It's right. not the goal itself. It's so interesting. I think we as humans are always looking for, give me the formula and I'll just do it, right? But the real formula is really thinking. <laughs> I mean, that's the formula. Think, explore, and, and, and keep learning because things change and evolve and, and you may actually come up with a better way to do something. And, and that's the key is the, the, the formula is not something that's uh, written down or a step-by-step process. The real formula is really just, just think. So um, let's talk about lean. And one of the things you want, how did you get into lean? But also you talk about lean is not born from what we see. Lean is born from what we think. Yeah. So I, uh... Lean. I, so let me start with how I got into lean. I, I got into lean basically from uh, an experience at, at Harley Davidson. Um, I was a materials manager. I, I wrote about this actually in a chapter in the book Practicing Lean. So Practicing Lean is an, a, a, um, is, is an edited doc, uh, book with lots of lots of contributing edit, authors. And so I, I wrote this story in that in that book, but. Um, I was the materials manager and we had installed one of the first scale pull systems, basically a lean tool mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in, in the manufacturing operation. And it doesn't, wasn't working well, right? Some people wanted to rip it out. Some people wanted to fix it. So, so I, I, this was early in my career. I went in with curiosity, like, well, I don't know the answer. I haven't solved this problem before. So I went into it with curiosity and I, I, 
I, I, I put my radio down. I, I kind of just went on walkabout. <laughs> I, I started shadowing different material handlers and observing what was happening. And what I noticed was that all the behaviors, people were trying to do the right thing, but their behaviors and their decisions were inconsistent with the system and the tools. Hmm. And so that made me sort of, it was just a really fortunate conclusion, but it, it, it led me to, to, to be curious about how the behaviors and the tools go together. And I didn't articulate it like that then, but I at least had that, uh, had that observation. And so that, that got me curious about operations. That got, I, was, I was already curious about manufacturing and operations. Got me curious about lean, started reading more books, got to Chrysler and became part of building the Chrysler operating system. And, and from there, the die was cast, right? From there, I was, I was, I was sort of locked in and, and exploring. Um, but, but, that, uh, but that, that quote around lean is born from how we think is uh, kind of comes all the way back to that Harley Davidson experience, which mm-hmm. is that people, you know, the, the tool and the system was in place, right? If people went in and examined the tool, so like, how many Kanban cards should we have? Oh, okay, that's the right number. And what's the math? And what's the sequence of, of responding to them? And you go, you go take one of these textbooks off my wall and, and compare the advice to what was in what was designed and installed, and you'd be like, yep, that, that's that's pretty good. But we still weren't getting it, right? We still weren't getting there. And so it really came down to the thinking behind it. And there's another important part of that statement, which is how we think, right? So it's not just the thinking part of that statement, but also we. Yeah. <laughs> it's the shared thinking of the organization, right? So um, one thing that I'll, I'll say that, that lean uh, differentiates from a lot of, I'll say, strategic thinking and, and even entrepreneurship is, is lean doesn't practice hero worship, Um Right. A lot of entrepreneurism is, is based on hero worship and and whether that's right or wrong, we could have a whole nother debate about. But but lean is really based on every person every day. It's kind of like the every the subtitle of my new book. Every person every day can contribute. Every person every day has the ability to contribute. And how do we build the culture, uh, the systems, the leadership to allow that to happen, uh, to enable that to happen, to encourage that to happen? And so it's how we think uh, it really became that that sort of catchphrase around lean uh, that that maybe is the exclamation part point on 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 my entire exploration of, of lean. Um, lots and lots of books out there on the tools. Tools aren't bad; they're not wrong. <laughs> they're just not enough. <laughs> so, what are three common mistakes or misperceptions that leaders often make regarding being lean? Um, so I think one is, is we'll start with, Hey, we'll, we'll put tools in place. We'll train people on the tools and, and, and off we go. Um, so, so that's, that's an easy one to make. And, and I don't even mind that, um, because it, it, sometimes people have to go through that, uh, journey of self-discovery to realize that it wasn't enough. Right. So it's like, okay. Hey, we're going to roll out some tools. Um, no, 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 don't do that. I, I don't try to talk people out of that. Like, okay, that's fine. That, that they'll help, right? And then, but but be curious about where they aren't working, right? And you'll, and so that's usually my advice to somebody in that mode. Um, and then they they have to sort of self discover that yeah, the tools the tools weren't enough. 
Um, I think too, is that there's this idea that they can control the journey, right? And in a lot of cases, you know, you can't. The, the key moment in most organizations' lean journey is that inflection point from where it goes from a controlled program to it sort of pops over and the circle of people who are engaged and excited and moving forward has now exceeded your ability to control it. <laughs> and sometimes people get, you know, they're like, they've been on this three year journey and they're, they're, uh, uh, they're, they're expecting uh, certain, you know, certain things to happen and they have their roadmap. And now it's like other people are doing stuff and it's out of their control. I'm like, but that's what you wanted. Right. And don't, don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Cause it's ultimately what you wanted. Right. You can't, you can't control this whole thing. Um, and then I'd say the third thing is that, um, is, is, is realizing looking, you know, not looking in the mirror, it, it might it's a, to be cliche about it. Um, when I, when I used to sign copies of the hitchhiker's guide to lean, I would, my most common, common phrases that, that I'd sign with it was lean begins with you. Um, and, and I talk about inside out leadership, right? Learn how to lead yourself first, then go, you know, so lean in many cases people are like oh let's go train all the individual contributors and then we'll be lean it's like yeah they're they're not the thing holding you back from lean. like if you just gave them like sure there's you know invest in people train them that's nothing wrong with that but that's not what's holding you back right it's here's the mirror here's your self-analysis here's your coaching here's your whatever right start with yourself as a leader and uh and, and so that became uh, a big part of my, you know, it's actually chapter two of the old, the old book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to Lean. Chapter one was on the thinking. Chapter two was on the leadership. And I think leaders think that, okay, we've got to train everybody in lean and good things will happen and almost never gets you where you want to go. Uh, it's it's got to start with, uh, we've ultimately got to get the leaders to change how they think as well. So inside out leadership. I think it's interesting when you talk about that inflection point. I think it's one of the rules of the universe, right? The the more you try to control something, the less control you'll end up with in the end, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's um, I, I I was having this conversation. I can't remember the context, otherwise I'd, I'd share the story. Um, but we were talking about someone struggling with a certain set of decisions, and it was really it came down to the fact that they were comparing. Uh, this thing that they were supposed to go do and let go of and move forward with against a myth of control, right? It was like, oh, I, I believe I control things and I don't <laughs> want to do these things because now I lose control. But they, they the, that control was a myth. They don't really control things. They, right. they, they just, they just, they touch a lot of things. It doesn't mean they control them. Yeah, I mean, I've learned I control nothing. In fact, I can't even control myself. So I can, I know I can control me like half the time. <laughs> That's the extent of the control I have in the entire world. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you a quick little story of one of my realizations of this. Because people talk about my career path and like, oh, do you have any advice? I'm like, uh, I will tell this story. And it was when I was interviewing for Chrysler. Uh-huh. Um, I was flying out there. There was an ice storm. I had multiple flight cancellations. I really didn't think I wanted to work in the auto industry or in the Midwest. I was coming from Pennsylvania. And uh, uh, this was before cell phones. Uh, so 
I, I it, at some point I'm like, I give up. This is, I don't really even want this job. I'm going to give up. So I called, I called the admin who would organize my, my trip. Cause somebody was supposed to pick me up at the hotel at 7am the next day. And I'm like, I was ready to say, cancel my visit. Um, but she had left for the day. <laughs> and, um, so now I felt bad. I can't, I have no, I don't even know the name of the person that's supposed to pick me up. So I feel bad. I stick it out. I get to my hotel at like three in the morning. Um, you know, a little, a nap basically, you know, shower and dress and go to the interview and ultimately, you know, took the job. So there was, you know, if that, if that person would have picked up the phone, I might've had a very different career path. Right. Um, yeah. so you know, I don't, I don't know if it was fate, right? But it was, certainly wasn't, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. There's a lot of things you can't control. Roll with it. Always be curious and, and move forward. Yeah, sometimes it's best to go with the flow. So, so I'm curious, you, you've done a lot of work on lean. So what aspect of being lean would you like to do a deeper dive and, and why? Um, I, I think uh, returning to that connection of strategic thinking, um, you know, does strategy affect your lean journey? Does your lean journey affect your strategic thinking? Are they one and the same? Um, uh, you know, how does that work? Uh, so, so you know, I have some beliefs on that, and I've certainly you know worked with a lot of organizations on that. But, but I'm not sure I have a really solid way to explain how that should work differently, especially in a world where things move faster. Strategic thinking has to be more dynamic, more every day. We can't rely on the strategic planning process because that's too slow and too uh, too low a cadence for the world that we live in. And so how do we accelerate strategic thinking, broaden strategic thinking, develop strategic thinking as an extension of lean, as an extension of problem solving? So um, you know, if I had to, if I had to sign a contract to write a next book now which I'm not going to do. <laughs> um, that would probably be the topic, but, uh, but we'll see. I'll stay curious about lots of things until that time. Sounds good. Sounds good. So who in the world of uh, being lean would you love to have lunch with and why? Yeah, that's a tough question. Um, there's so many, I mean, most of the lean thinkers in the world I've, I've had a drink with, had a coffee with, had a lunch with, whether it's, you know, John Shook or Tracy Richardson or uh, Mike Rother um, you know, lots of these folks I've met over the years and had really interesting conversations. So, um, you know, some who have passed away, Awada Son was one of my mentors uh, early on in my career. Mm -hmm. um, so, so probably maybe a different way to say that is who are, you know, who are the people that if we, if we really could figure it out, who are the people that 20 years from now are going to be giving, you know, this interview, uh -huh. right? Uh, 20 years from now, they're going to write the next breakthrough book, not just another lean book, right? But a breakthrough book. Right. But meet with them on the beginning of their learning journey. Pick their brain about how they're approaching their their learning and their engagement and and kind of kind of go to the the front end of that that learning journey. That would be, you know, if, if I could find an audience of people that are are on that that destiny where they're going to be the future thought leaders of the of lean. Um, that would be a really interesting lunch. Well, you may have already trained some of them, so you never know. <laughs> I, I never know. I, I certainly, uh, certainly do believe I've, I've generated 
plenty of thought leaders out there that today sometimes I'm collaborators with in different ways. So at least contributed to their journey. But uh, I, 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 my, my guess is I was probably drawn to their way of thinking, which is why we ended up connected in the first place. Exactly. So, uh, exactly. Hopefully that's uh Hopefully that is part of my legacy. <laughs> That's great. Well, listen, it was a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to seeing your next book. Fantastic. I, I enjoyed it. I uh, really appreciate it and uh, be well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com. And make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.